0: All right, we are in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, and we'll be in 2 Timothy, and uh, we'll be in Romans 5 a little bit, but mainly in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you if you need one. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is on page 992 in the Bibles in the seats underneath you. I'd encourage you to get your own Bible and bring it, make use of it. As I said earlier, we're in a second of five on answering a bit of the question why. Why some of the emphasis we have here, why do you hear frequently in the pulpit about worship that was last week or about men or male and female stuff that's this week and next week we'll talk about young families. We have an emphasis here there and then after that we'll um let's see what are the, the next one's going to be. We'll be on Uh, small groups. You've been hearing a lot about that. And then the last one will be on preaching itself. And so that's where we're going. Let me read uh, 1 Timothy 3.1 and then a portion of 2 Timothy 2. Uh, So 1 Timothy 3.1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And then just a few pages over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have a first share of the crops. Let's pray. Your testimonies, O holy and righteous Father, are wonderful. They give light to us. They give us understanding. We ask now that you would turn to us and give us light and understanding through your Spirit, establish our steps in your Word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over us. We ask this in Christ's strong name. Amen. I was talking to somebody about uh, another pastor about the sermon I was going to do today, and he encouraged me to use some analogies. So I'm going to do that. One analogy is found in 1 Timothy 3, but at the end of the chapter, in verse 15, uh, Paul says that the church is the household of God. It is the church of the living God, a pillar, a buttress of truth. So the church is a fortress of truth. And that is because the church has the truth in the Scripture, which means that the world outside sometimes stumbles into God's truth but often is riddled with error. And there is no place of greater error in the world than in relation to who God says we are. There's no truth that is hated with such vehemence in the world but the truth of what the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2 about man. And man there, I don't mean male, I mean mankind. But mankind is a compromise to saying man because the word man offends today. So we'll just say man like the Bible says. The world hates that we're creating God's image. Hates that. And the world hates that God created us male and female. And then... Not, so the church is supposed to be a fortress against that. Got that? But, unfortunately, the church at large in general isn't a fortress against that, but the walls are broken down in regards to that truth. Are you following me here? There are places where the church is supposed to be a fortress, but where the lies of the world because of corruption from within the church and the pressure from without, the walls have been breached at those points. Okay? And, and there is no greater place of pressure from without than who we are as male and female, and there is no greater place of compromise from within the church, male and female. And so that's answering the question, why is this such a frequent and hotly hit in the pulpit and in the classroom than that topic. That's why. Okay. That that's why. So what we're doing is like the little boy in the Netherlands who put his finger in the dike where it was leaking. We're trying to put our finger in the dike there where it's leaking. We're not concerned about where the wall isn't breached. Right. We're looking at what. Where in the world are your lives so adversely affected? And there is no greater place than the truth of we're creating God's image, male. And female in fact the wall isn't just breach there it's dust there we we have not only seen the walls go down we've built a a uh, a, a bridge across the moat so the world can come in there the world the church is greatly compromised in the issue of male and female um, and we'll get to a little bit more about that so, so that's one analogy so that's why that's answering the question why You tracking with me? Okay. Um, And this is destructive. It destroys people's lives. At root, the frequency of divorce in our culture, it's due to that issue. That's why. And all the kids whose lives are irrevocably damaged because of divorce is because of this issue. The reason why we've murdered 60 million babies in America is because of this issue. Okay, the reason why moms are giving drugs to their little boys to turn them into little girls is because of this issue. Okay. And if you don't think this is pressing on us, my, the town I grew up in Randolph, Wisconsin, the town of 2000, there's a little Christian school that has produced all of the va- valedictorians in the public school because they started taking state funding in the form of vouchers. They now have to take transgender students and a mom who's fostering two little boys is transitioning her two little boys to two little girls and that little Christian school can't do anything about it. And you don't think we're compromising in the little town of 2000 Wisconsin at 2000 in Randolph, Wisconsin. Okay? This is is the issue. Second analogy. This one's a little... Uh, more difficult to picture in your mind. I tried to come up with one that's better, but, um, oh well. Continuum. You've heard somewhere along the line on the continuum. You've heard that phrase before? So the world pictures men on one far end of the continuum and the world, or women on the other end of continuum. And the world tries to say that for millennia, men have dominated and, and women have been oppressed and neglected and beat down, and so the world wants to elevate women on the continuum and because they, they don't think that you can have both. They don't, the world doesn't think that you can bless both. It's one or the other. Either one is excelling and the other is failing or the other is excelling and, and, and the other is failing. You got me? And the church is compromising here because we have just bought into this continuum rubbish. And what the church is trying to do is just find a happy medium. Just find a happy medium. We, we believe there's a continuum like the world, which there isn't. And, and instead of emphasizing one or the other, we just want to fi- find a mushy middle. You should know that this continuum that the world sets up for you is a, is a, is a lie. The world doesn't want to elevate women. It wants to destroy men. You got me? So last night we're watching the Brewer game, and there's an advertisement for a run, like a 5K. I don't remember how long it was, but let's say it's a 5K in Milwaukee for young girls. And the tagline is we want to empower girls and give them confidence, which is great, but that's not what our world is doing. Our world hates masculinity, our world hates the headship of men, and so it's destroying men. It's not elevating women. It's not elevating women. God's word about who we are as male and female is something completely foreign and different than how the world views men and women. It's it's not trying to find a happy medium. It's something completely and utterly different. There is no compromise with the world's view of this and the biblical view of this. Men and women are completely equal in dignity and value in creating God's image. That is a wholly different thing than how the world views it. The world has no concept of the dignity of men and women before God and being made as an image. There's no spectrum. We're equal before God. Yet, yet, Even though completely equal, the creation order of male and then female defines everything about you as a man and everything about you as a woman, how you relate everywhere. You've heard this before. I'm I'm, I'm not not getting into today the hows, so much the whys, but bear with me. You've heard this before. I I don't want to beat on your heads about this, but there is an order within this equality, a hierarchy within this equality that is glorious and the world hates it. They see men and women as utterly opposed to each other and that men have ruled too long and now women are to rule and in doing so, they're completely flipping the beauty of the Bible on its head. The beauty of the Bible is that we are completely equal in dignity and worth and yet God has made men to rule. God has made men to rule. I know that's an inflammatory statement to say it like that, but that's the language the Bible uses throughout. They don't want balance in the world. The church doesn't even want balance. They want to win, and they want to destroy men. God has set his authority in this world on men. Let me give you an example. Remember the Title IX stuff? and applied to colleges, which was to provide equality of the programs among men and women. And let's take athletics. It said basically that you cannot deny offering equal opportunity for athletic programs to men and women. And so if you had 42 athletic opportunities for men, you needed to have the equal for women. But you know what happened, right? Right? Colleges didn't add more women's opportunities. What did they do? They reduced the amount for men. Right? See, our world isn't for women. Our world is against men. Our world isn't for women. It's against men. So the Bible isn't trying to give equal opportunity for men and women in the area of authority. Instead, the Bible sets out a completely different understanding of who we are created in God's image, and it is beautiful when it works. When men are given and trained and appreciated for the kind of leadership they should have, women and children and organizations and societies flourish. When it isn't, women are hurt children are hurt, organizations, societies, decay. And so here is the problem then. Because there is so much pressure and because Christians are constantly hounded to be ashamed of these things, too often we compromise. So one of the hallmarks of biblical fidelity to Jesus is never being ashamed of anything that the Bible says. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, when I come, I'll be ashamed of you. And there is no place where the church is more embarrassed about the Bible than when it's talking about who we are as creating God's image and who we are as male and female. And I, what we want to do as elders in our church is build a church of people who have no problem with any of those passages. That's it. We don't want you in teaching these in a small group to have to make a whole bunch of apologies for them because there's just no problem for us. It, it's just there. And we have the faith to believe that if God wrote it, it's good and right, and we don't have a problem with it. We don't have to nuance it. We don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to soften it to accommodate anybody. We just don't have a problem with it. because it's what God has said. That's it. This isn't mainly, brothers and sisters, about men and women. This is mainly about the authority of God and his word. That's what this is about. And we are not given the responsibility or right to compromise. We are nothing but servants of the most high God. And whatever he said is whatever we believe, without embarrassment. Second, you ought to remember Jesus again when talking about following him, coming to not be embarrassed about any portion of his word means relationships will be ended. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? When you become a Christian and you say whatever God has said, I believe and I don't have a problem with, because of that commitment in your life, your relationships will be ended with some people. H- Happen in family. Jesus said there'll be some children who hand over their Christian parents to the authorities because of the commitment of the Christian parents to Jesus the truth. You see it throughout all the letters in the New Testament. People leaving the church. Let's say 1 John chapter 2. People who are leaders in the church, because of the commitment of the truth of the church, some leaders leave. They leave the church. Why? Because of this stuff. So one of the things that the church is too often surprised at is when people leave. It should not be surprising. A church that is faithful... A church that is preaching, elders that are disciplining and caring for the people will always, 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 from time to time, have people leave because they don't want to be a part of it. They're embarrassed by it. They won't ever say that, but that's often what's going on. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that people leave biblically faithful churches. We are almost always surprised at who they are. That's throughout the Bible. You're surprised, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? Really? This is going to happen. I remember Jonathan Edwards. Are you familiar with Jonathan Edwards? He's probably the man. He's a Christian pastor, theologian. He probably has had more influence on American culture and political and religion and family than anybody else in American history. His, he took over pastoring his grandfather's church. His grandfather was Solomon Stoddard in Northampton, Massachusetts, I believe was the name of the town. Solomon Stoddard had pastored that church for 60 years. (laughs) And one of the things Solomon Stoddard said afterwards is he said, people get too uh, uptight about people coming and leaving the church. He said, after 60 years, I just realized every three to five years, people leave and then people come and people leave and then people come and then people leave and then people come. It's one of the lessons he learned after 60 years of pastoring one church. Just, it's normal. It's part of it but we do not want to attract half-hearted Christians here. We are about making disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior over all. So if you apply what I'm talking about to evangelism, I'm going to get to 1 Timothy 3 in a minute. This is all uh, introduction. These sermons are going to be like this, just because we're trying to answer the questions Why? The American church has largely taken a view of evangelism that is woefully inadequate. We think it's all about just getting people into the church by making a comfortable church that isn't offensive so that they can hear the truth that God loves them and has a good plan for their life and they need Jesus too and that that's evangelism. Then if you can get them to pray a prayer, get them to stay in the church, hopefully get them to start giving some money, That's evangelism. That is not evangelism. Evangelism, as I said last week, is preaching the truth of God's word in such a way that men and women cry out for fear of God, what can I do to be saved? It's God's law. So burdening a soul. So... Freaking out a soul that he or she becomes fearful of standing before a holy God in eternity. And so they needing a savior. That's evangelism. That's what we're trying to do here. So people need to know deeply of how sinful and offensive they are before God. And if... The highest and hottest rebellion against God is at the place of male and female. Where else do we need to preach the strongest and most in order to make people aware of their sins so they can come to Jesus? Do you understand what I'm getting at? When I preach frequently and directly about this issue, it is for the purpose of evangelism. Okay? Because that is where the bulk of people's sin lie against the holy God. And I earnestly want them to see the seriousness of their situation before God. So they need Jesus. This is evangelistic in its essence. Because we love our unsaved neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members. We need the law of God to strike their consciences so they see how good and pleasing Jesus is. This is evangelism to the core, and the problem, frankly, is that way too many of us think evangelism is not um, just making people comfortable, presenting God's love detached from all of God's anger and wrath at sin. Somehow we want to present the cross as if, It wasn't bloody. As if the Son of God didn't hang there screaming, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't want to turn people off. I say, do you not read the New Testament? It's like the apostles went out of their way to turn people off. Because they loved them. Because coming to Christ is losing everything to gain Christ. Christ. It's being willing to forsake everything to have Jesus. It's coming groveling on your knees before the great king because you realize how horribly unworthy you are in your sin. But you're just glad there to eat morsels off of the ground if he'll let you. That's evangelism. That's why we preach like this. All right, one more thing on why this is so important, and then I'll, I want to get to. 1 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 4, which speak to how, uh, just a bit. So turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. So Romans is back to the left. I don't know, half a dozen books or so, maybe more, 10. Romans chapter 5. By going here, we're going to begin in verse 12. By going here, I want to show you how utterly foundational and fundamental the issue of male and female is in the Bible. If you lose the biblical teaching on Adam first and Eve second, there is no gospel. Okay? This this couldn't be any more serious, brothers and sisters. If we deny Adam first and then Eve, if we deny the headship of Adam There is no sin that you need a Savior from. And if you deny it, there is no Savior. Okay? That's how big this is. This is not marginal, this is not secondary. This is utterly foundational to everything we believe about the Christian faith. So, and here is where you can see that clearest. All right. Romans 5.12. Now, you've got to think here, okay? You've got to listen to the words here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. This is, fun, this is fundamental here. The word man is everything. Just as sin came into the world through one biological male, who was head over all of humanity, who was the Lord over all mankind, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Now think here. Because all sinned. What does that mean? Does that mean all do things that are sinful there? No. That means all are by nature sinful at their core, because that's what Adam did. We all sin just by by via being offspring of the one man Adam. You and yourself are sin because Adam sinned. Okay, this is the doctrine of sin in the Bible. So here's how God created this world. Adam first, then Eve. That order means that Adam is the representative, the head, the Lord over all humanity. Okay? Whatever he does, we are doing in him. And when he sinned, you and I and every other person sinned in him. He represents us. He's our head. He's our... Ruler. <laughs> okay? This is the worst news you and I could ever hear. This is true of you, of your children, of the baby being knit together in your womb. Your children are not born innocent, cute and cuddly, they may be, but they are little sinners. They just need some strength and some time to grow so that you can see it full bloom. Right. Full bloom. <laughs> All right, so if you lose the biblical teaching on male and female, you lose any necessity to be for a Christ. You got it? Let me apply that to your home. The reason that your husband is your head as a wife that you're to be submissive to is because of this. It's applied it to the church. The reason that the Bible tells you to submit to your elders is because of this. Supply it to the world. The reason why it's glorious to have men leading our country is because of this. See what the Bible does. It takes the creation order and applies it everywhere. Now, there's good news here. We would fast forward to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. If many died through one man's trespass, because Adam represented us, much more of the grace of God and the free gift of grace by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see how utterly fundamental the issue of male and female is in the Bible. If you lose it, you lose the doctrine of sin, and you lose the doctrine of atonement, justification, forgiveness, forgiveness. Our redemption is gone. It's not by mistake that Paul keeps inserting the word M A N in these verses. It is utterly fundamental to our salvation. So you you see how important this is, right? I could keep going. We it is. To quote our articulate present bigly, <laughs> this is huge. I mean, this is because it's so fundamental, this is why it's so destructive in lives. And this is what we care about at Pine Grove. We care about people. And if we care about people, we will figure out where their lives are most threatened and we will hit there. And this is where lives are most, not overstating, threatened. Right? That's why we're preaching like what we're preaching. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So what does that mean for our church? What's, what's a solution God has given us? Turn to 1 Timothy 3. Now, this situation in our world, in our day, really isn't that much different than in the New Testament, okay? It's very easily seen how closely we are to their day. This, this issue was their issue then. In First in Timothy 2, Paul speaks to men. I wish men, in verse 8, would pray, lifting holy hands. That's why sometimes during the singing, which is the kind of prayer, we want men to be lifting your hands and worship. Uh, and then he goes to women. Women, adorn yourselves with respectable apparel, modesty, self-control, with a good, with, which is good, it's proper for women to profess godliness. And then he says in verses 11 and 12, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise the lord of the man over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? Why did Paul just say that? gives two reasons. First, verse 13, creation order. Adam was created first and then Eve. This isn't just a contextual situation happening in Ephesus that doesn't apply anywhere else. This is because of creation order. Second, this is the one that really gets people mad. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Are you saying, Pastor Jeremy, that the reason men are to rule at church and in the home and in society is because God made Adam first? Yep. And then are you saying, Pastor Jeremy, that women are not to teach or exercise authority in the church, are to remain quiet, and then you could apply this to the home and society because Eve was deceived? Why would you believe such an antiquated, outdated, barbaric, patriarchal notion? Because God's inspired apostle Paul wrote it. And that's it. That's it. So then, after that, Paul then, right after talking about male and female, now he talks about elders in chapter 3. The, cha- the saying is trustworthy. Trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble test. So right after telling women in the church, you cannot be an elder. You cannot lead in that kind of way. This is given to men. So if we want to say it this way, women are not permitted to teach or sex exercise authority simply because she's a woman. But then Paul says that men are neither... uh, allowed to be an elder just because he's a man. You got it? Women can't be an elder just because she's a woman, but neither can a man just be an elder just because he's a man. And so God is not slighting you as women here. He's not elevating men over you because they're better than you. This should be in a cur- verse... Three of, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 is supposed to be an encouragement to women and a humbling to men. Okay. This is a reassurance that a woman is not less than a man, and it's to humble men because they have no more dignity or worth than a woman. There is a certain qualification of a man that could make him an elder. So Paul is here urging men to desire to be an elder, but to caution them because they need to be of sufficient maturity and godliness to carry the weight of eldership. What he's trying to do in these verses is show you that leadership in the church is a very, very difficult calling. It's death. It's hard. You will spend your hours and your energy grieving over the sin of people. You will have to say unthinkably difficult things to people and make very unpopular decisions. People will talk about you, they will gossip you, they will malign you. People who were your friends will utterly abandon you. You will be under the scrutiny of every person in your church and in your community. It's a hard job And men need to get their stuff together if they think they're ever going to do it, is what Paul's saying here. You better get to work, boy, before you take this job. You better put the time in and the sweat equity to grow in godliness before you take this weight on your shoulders. This is why Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, says in relation to being an elder, who is sufficient for these things? (laughs) Who can carry this weight? We will give an account for eternal souls before God. Who is sufficient for them? And you think just because you're a man you should be an elder? This is a big deal. And so you need to be above reproach. You better love your wife. You better have right self-control over yourself. You better have a right relationship in the workplace to other people and have a good reputation. You better not be given to being prideful and puffed up or you will be destroyed. And so, what are we doing at Pine Grove? We want to build men up to be ready to carry this weight because it's a blessing to everybody. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're trying to do here. And we're aiming at our 10-year-olds and our 35-year-olds. Sorry, guys, if you're 65, I'm just kidding there. We care about the 65-year-old. But we, we really are aiming at our young men to, get, to, to grow them to carry this weight. Because the elders that we have now, which are an incredibly blessed in our children, they're not going to be here in 10, 15 years. Who's going to carry it then? Raise your hands if you're anywhere between 10 and 25 right now. Raise them. I mean, you are made to carry this weight. You better be getting ready. Because failing marriages will depend on you. Because parents whose children are rebelling and going to hell will be depending on you. Because women who are abused by their husbands will be coming for help from you. Because the world which is pressing in with all kinds of force against these truths will be depending on you to have some backbone to stand up against it. They'll be depending on you. And Paul is saying, get your tail working hard to get ready to carry this weight. That's why I am so tired of people pushing against this. Do you not know what we're getting ready for the future in the church for? This matters to lives. I mean, eternity. right? You're with me? You want some help for your kid's marriage in the future? We better have elders ready for it. And not elders who are milk toast and spineless and who cannot help a man whose wife is making a mess or vice versa because it's a it's a, it's a war turn over to second Timothy 2 if you would Paul is here writing to a pastor named Timothy the application in these verses is explicitly for elders There is a larger principle that can be applied everywhere and anywhere. But the context here is what Timothy should be spending his time doing, what the elders should be spending their time doing. You then, my child, be strengthened. It's going to be hard work. You need the strength of Jesus. You need the strength that comes from knowing the grace of Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me, so Paul is an inspired writer of scripture, what you've heard from me, what you've heard in the Bible, you are to entrust to other faithful men who will then in turn teach others. Why do we as pine groves spend so much time exhorting young men, trying to train young men, meeting with young men, men's Bible studies, elder training every year for a year long, the last two years. Why are we doing that? Because of this. Because of this. Now, of course, the larger principle is true. Everyone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ should be discipling. But that's not the truth here. The truth here is... Pastors and elders, you better get strong in Jesus and start entrusting the faithful witness of the prophets and the apostles to other faithful men so that they're ready to teach others into the future. And so young men, you high schoolers and junior high men, why do you go to youth group and listen to Pastor Jeff or Sean or... Other men teach. Why are you going there? You should be going there faithfully to hear the trustworthy teaching of the scripture so that you can get equipped to teach others in the decades to come. That's what it's for. Why do you come here and listen to Keith lead us in singing biblically true and rich songs? He's equipping you. He's teaching you so that you can in turn teach others. Now, look at what Paul does afterwards. He gives you three analogies soldiering, athletes competing, and hardworking farmers farming. Isn't this so appealing to men? I'm not saying it's not appealing to women at all either. Isn't this so appealing to men? What did little boys want to grow up and be? Firefighters. Soldiers. Farmers has fallen on hard times, but they used to. (laughs) He's talking here to men. Elders, get young men ready, faithful young men ready. They're going to be soldiers in the church. They're going to be athletes competing for souls in the church. They're going to be hardworking farmers in the church. Get them ready, and and whose job is it to get them ready? It's my job. It's Pastor Jeff's job. It's Terry and Mike and Dennis and Sean's job. It's our job, brothers and young men, and we need you to engage in this. Now, what does this mean for you as a woman? One, would you please pray for this? Would you be praying for our young men? Two, moms, here is the goal for which you're working in your household with your young boys. You're raising them to be this. Don't coddle them. Don't protect them from the responsibilities and failures that they're going to suffer for their own foolishness. They need to feel that weight they get fired from a job. Tell them, good, they deserved it. And they better learn how to work. If dad's hard on them, do not ever contradict him to your boys. Your, their, your boys need that. Now, if you're being abusive, that's a different thing. Third, please, depending on God's grace with faith, submit to your husband. Your young men in your home, the young men in our church, need to see men being submitted to by their wives. It is an unthinkable blessing for men in the church to have wives now who submit. Now, submission does not mean uh, being okay with being abused. Okay, if you've been here any time, you know we've said this before. Submission is not synonymous with abuse. Abuse is a grotesque perversion of headship and submission. Fourth, please get with an older woman who is willing to teach you Titus 2. Titus 2 says older women are to teach younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled do not have anything to do with an older woman who will not teach those truths in those verses. But find an older woman who loves those, is not ashamed of them or embarrassed by them, and get help from her. We need this kind of ministry here. All right, let's conclude with Christ. There is no hope apart from Christ for this kind of thing in the church. There's no hope for anything apart from Christ, but particularly this here. It is because of one man's sin that we all are born sinful in this mess of this world, and it's only by one man that it's ever going to be redeemed, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of heaven and earth. And so turn to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for how you've made this world. Thank you for creating us in your image, making us male and female. May you give us the faith to submit to this. Please give us the faith to love it, not be embarrassed by it, have no problem with it. God, please give us tens of young men who are faithful, willing to bear the weight and responsibility of leadership in the home and in the church and our society, and give us godly, tightest two kind of women alongside of them. Do it for your glory and for the good of many others. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is to remember what Jesus said before he was ascended. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's what I want you to remember, and behold. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. He will surely do it. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord.